Welcome to Venture in the South, a podcast about startup investing in the southeastern United States. Our hosts are experienced angel investors with over 90 startup investments. We'll share some Southern wisdom while exposing you to the vibrant startups here in the South. Welcome back to Venture in the South. On this week's episode, we're going to have a little bit of fun exploring some of the bad behavior you might see in angel investing. That doesn't sound like an obvious introduction. Um, Angel investing is generally a pretty uh, collaborative and consensual activity. But from time to time, bad things happen uh, when you're investing in companies. And we thought we'd take this episode to um, explain what some of those things might be and give you a few um, stories from the horror show of some of the experiences that we've had at Venture South on when angels, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs do some bad behavior. So that's our plan for today. it's a topical subject, I think, because one of the things that's happened over the last few months is a lot of VCs and angels have um, faced some challenging times making investments. And a lot of entrepreneurs have had challenging times raising money. And one of those challenges is the phenomenon of something called um, pulled term sheets. David, is that something you've, you've seen or heard much about? Um, I have seen that a few times, and it does seem to be related to uh, fiscal stress. So the economy is not going well and there's threat of recession or you're in a recession. And so you go back to the two big events in in my professional career. One was the dot-com bust and uh, there was a lot of pulled term sheets then. Mm-hmm. And then again, in the Great Recession from 2008, um, same thing happened. And, you know, it's, that also brewed some of the strongest startups that we've seen uh, because, you know, uh, hardship often makes you stronger. And so um, in, in, in the recent past of the last uh, five to 10 years, um, I've seen that occasionally. It's not a common thing, but it seems like it's related to financial stress. Maybe not just fiscal stress, um, but also company-based stress. And so there, there, I've seen this thing where investors want to take advantage of a company that's running short of cash, for example. Yeah, that's right. Um, it is potentially interesting dynamics when a company has not gone quite according to plan, but is raising money, but you can see their runway getting shorter and shorter and everybody's becoming increasingly reliant on this white knight investor coming in to help things out. And they may not want to do that until the last minute to maximize their leverage. So lots yep. of challenging dynamics around um, fundraising for sure. Yep. Um other bad behavior around SPACs. I know we've done some episodes on, oh my on goodness. SPACs. We'll, we'll probably table that for another time. But Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll refer listeners to episodes 19 and 20, uh, which are about um, the SPAC investment that we were involved in. Yep. Um, lots of lessons to learn from all of those situations. Um, I thought it would be useful, though, to share a couple of somewhat anonymized uh, horror stories from the Venture South experience about things that have happened to us, um, just so that People who are new to angel investing perhaps can since can potentially see some of the things that go on behind the scenes or be prepared to deal with some of these challenges to themselves if they uh, if they face them they likely will uh, as they build out their portfolios. Um, in my experience, I mean this is still pretty rare, so we're focusing on the things that went badly. Most of the time, even when things do go badly, they don't go badly it's acrimoniously, and we don't all fight about things. Mm-hmm. But from time to time, um, it starts to look a bit like this is a zero-sum game, that if I win on something, somebody else has to lose, or vice right. versa. Right. Uh, and 
when companies are going under, that's a highly stressful time with you know personal bankruptcies and losses of millions of dollars. That's a tough time for everybody to operate at their highest you know integrity and and capability. Uh, so it can be it can be pretty tough. Um, I like to break it down to two areas. I think one is investors behaving badly, and the other is entrepreneurs behaving badly. And I think both are pretty guilty of bad behavior fairly frequently. Um, so maybe just to give a couple of examples of these, I'll start with the entrepreneurs behaving badly. If that's if that's and okay it, it's worth, you. let me just interject something here. It's worth noting that some this bad behavior doesn't necessarily indicate that you're a bad person or anything like that. It's just that the pressures that are on you sometimes lead you to make choices that maybe not so great. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes you are a bad person. So there absolutely yeah. are times you yeah. can learn that this is not somebody I want to do business with because yeah. this is how they react under pressure. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I mean, Let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt. We all make mistakes and we all look back and wish we'd done things slightly differently. Um, these are some situations where perhaps people ought to have done something slightly differently. Yeah. Um, so one thing that uh, investors often face is entrepreneurs that um, don't do what they say they're going to do. And that can go from a, um, you know, the most obvious and um, you know, least justifiable of just committing fraud, outright doing things that are untrue, lying to you, um, we had a, a company raising money recently that was telling their potential investors that Venture South was really interested in this deal and was actually funding it, and Venture South members were involved in, the, in it. We'd never heard of this company at all. We'd never done anything like that. And the investors, the potential investors in that, in that company, were doing their diligence, emailed us, called us, said, can we borrow your diligence work on this company because we like it too? And we said, we've got no idea who this is that you're talking about. Wow, that's a huge red flag. That's like, it's a huge red flag to everybody. I don't know how the person thought they could get away with doing that. Um, and they didn't. So obviously we would never invest in that entrepreneur again in any situation. And I'm pretty sure those investors that were doing their diligence did not end up investing in that company. Yeah. So that's obviously the most blatant and, and foolish kind of fraudulence. Um, but there are ways that people can be sneaky um, or, I guess, to be generous, optimistic, to overly optimistic about what's going to happen um, to the to the you know, extent that that's not even realistic about what could happen. You know, we're close to having five, you know, term sheets next week. You might be in your head close to having five term sheets next week, be a reality not. So there's that kind of level of uh, over-optimism. Um, but the other, the, um, the ones that really gall the most in that kind of situation is where an entrepreneur is telling you there's probably room in the round for you and they you know, carry on working investor because, you know, we want to have you in the round and, once you've finished your process, there'll be space for you. And then when it comes to it, there actually isn't at the end. Um, that is... Yeah. Um, Ditched at the altar. Yeah, left at the altar. We've, we've been left at the altar a couple of times or a few times by people. And sometimes there's reasons for that to happen. There are you know, investors you definitely want to have on your cap table. and Maybe we're not as appealing as, as those investors are. So some, from time to time that happens. But if you've been telling people there's room for you in this round and then ultimately there isn't, Nobody feels good about that. So do you have some specific stories from the war chest put out there? Well, we do. I mean, that exact scenario has happened to us several times. We've, we've been doing our diligence work. It's been going well. We've been telling the entrepreneur we're probably interested. We have to fit our timetable of process. We have to herd our cats in our angel group to get to the you know, funding at the right time. Um, and this is what the timetable is. Um, we try to keep to the timetable. But when we get to the end of the timetable, it turns out the round is already spoken for. Um, so that's happened a couple of times. It's happened once memorably with one company that did it to us and then did it to us again when they came to raise their next round of funding. Mm. Um, 
which <laughs> I guess fooled me once, shame on you, and um, not the second time. Yeah. Um, uh, but there have been times where um, where, where that's happened. Um, so uh, one one learning from that is to make sure there's a very open dialogue all the way through a fundraising process about what the situation is so that you're not surprised by things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that stuff happens fairly frequently. Um, another area of bad behavior is um, when entrepreneurs want something to happen, but they don't necessarily want to lay it on the table. So one example of this is where um, once you've made an investment in a deal, then you're you know, involved in that deal for a long time, potentially, and you'll have paperwork that goes on later on in the deal, getting your consent for things. As yeah. an investor with some rights, sometimes you have to consent to future things happening, like a new fundraising going on. Uh-huh. So you'll get, um, often at the last minute, often lots of pages of documents to go look at and give your consent to. And sometimes you can get things in those documents that you wouldn't necessarily have expected to be in there. Something slipped in. Uh, something was put in there, yeah, in in somewhat of a less than fully transparent way, um, hoping that maybe you wouldn't notice it or hoping that enough people didn't notice it that it could just kind of get kind of happen without causing too much of a stir. Yeah. Now, that's a that's a great point to to bring out for angel investors, because, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that angel investors need to diversify into a lot of different companies, hopefully 20 or more. And. The diligence that's involved in that is quite extensive, but sometimes the diligence means reading all these documents, which would be quite lengthy. And so angels can really spend a lot of time on this this stuff, trying to figure out what's going on, make sure they're not having something slipped in there. Yep. So this is hard. It is. Um, and sometimes it boils down to trust. You have to trust the entrepreneur isn't going to do this kind of stuff to you. But once you've seen one do it, then you're more reluctant to trust everybody that this won't happen. And one one um, example that we have recently from our portfolio is um, company raised a couple of rounds of convertible notes stacked on top of each other, and we're raising a third convertible note to stack on top of that. And I've I've mentioned before how much I don't like stacked notes. It's just too complicated. Too many mis mis aligned incentives. Yes, it's not an ideal uh, cap table structure for sure. And here's another reason you might not like it. Um, When that third uh, set of notes were issued, it required the consent of the previous note holders. Mm -hmm. So the the company's council wrote the consent, sent the consent to the note holders. Almost none of the note holders read it. They all signed it. The, The deal was amended. But what they'd done in this particular scenario was not only change the maturity dates of the older notes, which is kind of reasonable. You want all your notes in this stack converting at the same time just to keep things simple. But they'd also change the valuation caps on those earlier notes. Oh, that's fundamental. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, almost fraud. Um, well, I mean, it was right then the documents that these people had signed. So, like, there was no question that the entre- that the investors should have seen that and objected to it. But most people just said, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah. Maybe probably didn't read that far. Yeah. Um, and so what was originally, let's – just anonymize things. Let's say it was a 15 million valuation cap, then a 20, then a 25. Uh, after these consents were sent out, they were all at 25. Oh my goodness. Considerably So the early, in, the, the early note investors really got screwed. Well, yes. Um, had that gone through like that, they would have done. I mean, the valuation cap today might justifiably have been 25, but 18 months ago when you signed it at 10, it definitely wasn't. Otherwise yeah. you wouldn't have signed it then. Right. Um, so uh, in that particular story, we flagged it as being somewhat surprising and um, wasn't sure that was what was supposed to have happened. Uh, and it was unwound in the end so that everybody kept their original valuation caps. And we all, you know, carry on playing nicely with each other. 
Uh, but next time those, that company sends us a consent, be sure we're going to read it three times, not just twice, to make right. sure that we're not missing you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and so those kinds of things happen a lot, uh, or maybe happen more than you would expect them to happen. Um, and sometimes they're accidental. Sometimes they're just you. somebody thought they told you about them, and they thought they'd agreed something, but there was some miscommun- miscommunication. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's outright just trying to pull the wall over somebody's eyes. You just got to do your best to not let that happen to you. So how about outright fraud? What What have you encountered there? Well, this guy, you know, saying that we were involved in in that deal when we weren't is mm-hmm. the, the most blatant that we've had recently. Um, we haven't had too many – it's obviously hard to prove outright fraud. So we haven't had any situations where we think these guys are actually committing fraud on us. Mm-hmm. But read the financial press and there's, you know, another story of a Ponzi scheme or a fraudulent, you know, misrepresentation and those kind of things. Those happen you know, fairly often. Okay. Yeah. So let's take a little break here and ask our, our listeners to rate and review and contest us directly if you have questions or you want us to talk about something of interest to you. You can reach out to David at VentureInTheSouth.com. Venture in the South is brought to you by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on Southern startups. The fund allows for quarterly investments with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information, visit RollingSouth.vc. Thanks, David. Uh, As we reconvene, I don't want to spend the whole episode talking about all the terrible ways uh, entrepreneurs are bad. Uh, Let's talk about some of the ways that investors are bad too. Um, And obviously, these um, are no examples of Venture South behaving badly. These are examples of other investors we've seen, but um, there are absolutely examples of of investors doing things that are sneaky or somewhat unexpected um, and and disappointing to others involved in transactions. and one of these does actually involve Venture South. So here's the here's a story of um uh, of a situation that Venture South was was involved in a little while back. We had a portfolio company that had failed. It was going out of business. It hadn't commercialized. The management team had not done a great job executing on their plan. They they'd never really raised enough money. Um, it just hadn't quite worked. Yeah, pretty common outcome. Um, and the company was nearing the end where the board had actually voted to liquidate the company. The, you know, it was it was going to be a zero for everybody. But we heard that this was happening and um, there were a couple of Venture South members who said, well, let's see if we can just have one wild swing to try to sell the company. We'll put some money in just to pay for an exit process. um, And if there is any value to the technology this company has, they'll sell it. We'll make some money on this bailout investment. uh, And hopefully there'll be some some proceeds for others lower down the cap table. Um, which was a you know pretty risky thing to be doing. Um, pretty clear timetable though. We did think there was some value in the transaction or in the technology, so we were we had enough people in our group inclined to to do that. Obviously, that's about the riskiest form of capital you can have. So um, it was priced expensively as a result. So um, let's just say you put your money in. If there was any returns, you get your two times your money back before anybody else saw anything. Yeah. Uh, two x liquidation preference on a piece of debt. So we mm-hmm. were. Senior secured debt holders. If there are any proceeds here, we get them. Other people would. Yeah, which which you never see in a normal environment, but maybe in a high stress environment like recession or something like that, or it, you have a meltdown going on. That's when you see these yeah. high high multiple liquidation preferences. Right, and it, I mean it was expensive, but it wasn't outrageous. It wasn't mm-hmm. predatory. The company mm-hmm. was dead, so mm-hmm. 
This was one last attempt to try to get some money back for everybody, mm -hmm. some people. So what actually happened was the company was acquired, but not very much. So there was enough money to pay that investment round, the return it was contractually obliged to get, and a little bit more for people further down the, the, the debt holders, mm -hmm. but not 100% of their investment, and then nothing for the equity holders. Mm -hmm. But of course, at that point, the investors who are making money now on this subpar outcome were, and I'm quoting, you know, greedy bastards that are <laughs> taking advantage of this company. Um, and therefore, the bad guys in the situation where all they'd really done is try to bail out everybody and, um, uh, you know, and were able to make some value out of an otherwise zero value situation. So suddenly, venture south for the greedy bastards in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on the, the receiving end of some, you know, pretty bad language and pretty bad sentiment from a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, which is not where I wanted to be, having tried to help them. Yeah. So I guess this just goes to show that no good deed ever goes unpunished. True. Um, and um, the, res the rest of that process was obviously fairly contentious, but eventually those investors that were to make money ended up conceding making a bit less money than they were going to make under the original terms. And the, you know, the others further down the capital stack got a little bit more than they would have done if Venture South had taken what it was contractually entitled to getting, mm -hmm. which was you know, good, gener good generosity from, from those investors. Um, but pretty interesting, bad behavior. The, the most disappointing part about all that was the other investors in the room that were now objecting to Venture South making some money in this when they had had the opportunity to participate yeah, in that and bailout they and they didn't. Yeah. Uh, or put together their own deal if they thought that was outrageous money. They could have, yeah. you know, put together something else that was slightly less expensively priced, but they didn't. So being attacked by your fellow investors is not a good place yeah. to be in. And this this plays into the reputation risk uh, that investors have every time you do a deal and every time you go into a negotiation, when particularly when things are going bad. So yeah. reputation is probably one of the most valuable things investors have. Because it can affect your deal flow and your ability to negotiate a deal and and do syndicates and things like that. And so it's really important, I think, for investors to nurture their reputation. It is. Um, and also be aware that things can happen to your reputation when you don't really expect it to. So yeah. I wasn't expecting at the end of that deal to be the bad guy. I was yeah. trying to help out. Yeah. Um, and now the other people involved may tell you a totally different story from their perspective about how it looked to them. Yeah, because you could yeah. have not invested and they would have just gone bust and nobody would have had anything. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, reputation is hard to manage, particularly when there's, it's out of your control about what yeah. other people think and do. Yeah. So, um, so that was one particular horror story that, that pained me a little because I was you know, intimately involved in that deal. Um, there are a lot of times, though, more generally speaking, where you've just got to be aware that people coming in after you do not have the same motivation and the same interests that you do as an existing investor. So AVC will give you a term sheet where um, you know, they're coming in later than an angel round. Their term sheet's going to reflect their best interests, not yours as the existing investor, mm -hmm. which is why there's often perceived conflict between angels and VCs because VCs come in with a big check and he who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. So um, the the deals, the terms of your investment change and everybody wants you to change your rights because they want this money in the company. Um, so 
there are definitely situations where VCs working for their best interests don't necessarily have the exact same best interests that you do. Yeah, they just have different incentives. So they're they're on a different timeline. They have a different uh, end goal. And uh, their IRR is stretched out over a much longer period of time. So they need a bigger multiple yeah. to make their IRR. And uh, so that that's the root of the infamous cram down. And and seems like that's where most of cram downs come from is sort of a, a later round where you have the meeting of angels and VCs and there's loss of rights because you have loss of voting leverage. Yeah, right. Just just changes the dynamics and more people are involved in different ways. Yeah. Um, and that can happen with just a deal that actually does work. Um, we have a particularly egregious um, example of that happening recently to us where um, a, a VC made what looked like a pretty good investment, you know, nice high valuation, reasonable terms. Um, the existing investors said, yeah, that sounds fine. We'll, we'll agree to that. Let's have the first closing. And again, I'll anonymize a bit by making up the numbers, but let's say it was a $15 million round. Um, the first closing was $25 million on these terms. We'll raise the rest of the money. You know, everything will be fine. Well, what then happened after that first closing, the board was changed because that was part of the deal. You know, people voting on things changed. And the world changed. You know, SaaS multiples in the public markets halved. Um, and so that VC came back and said, well, actually, that was the wrong price we just paid. We need to restructure this deal. And not just pull the term sheet, but we've already structured this deal. We've invested. The terms were all written out. You know, all the documents were signed. There's no real provision in the documents for saying, actually, the share price we paid last week was half of what we actually paid. But guess what happened? You know, everybody voted that that is what had to happen, in part because the people voting now were the people wanting that to happen. So let me, let me see if I understand this right. So because of the, the earlier round, the board structure had changed and they had the voting power to change the, in part, the yeah. terms. Yeah. Now, the shareholders still had to do some consenting, um, although now a large number of these shareholders are the people wanting to do this. But even existing shareholders had to consent to it. But we kind of had to. Yeah. Otherwise, there was going to be so much discontent and argument and a failed yeah. round that the company would probably go out of business. So, the famous the famous horse head in the bed from The Godfather. I mean, yeah, what, what could we do? Yeah. Um, you know, one day, perhaps there'll be some lawsuits about it. Who knows? But yeah. I mean, at this point, the share price on that round is, you know, a little under a half of what that VC was originally paying mm-hmm. mid-deal, which mm-hmm. I'd never seen before. Pretty, yeah. pretty staggering to me when, yeah. you know, we learned that that was going to be what was happening. And, you know, you have to live with it. You have to hope the company does really well anyway. You still make some money on your return and you'd have to ignore the bad taste in your mouth yeah. as that's going along until you, until you get to the end. Yeah. Um, so that kind of bad behavior, I mean, it happens. You've got yeah. to be prepared for it. Yeah. And you've also got to be prepared as an early stage investor to know that there's not a ton probably that you can do about it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's kind of like the thick skin of sales when you're, when you're interacting with these different players, uh, you have to, as a angel investor, you have to have a thick skin and you also have to recognize that there are, different incentives and people behave that way because they're incentivized to behave that way. And so uh, that, that gets back to this, this issue that I, that I talk about occasionally where the early exit is really important for angels because you can avoid a lot of these problems. Yeah. If you exit after, you know, the second or, or the third round, it's, it's these, it's these investments that are capital intensive that go five or more rounds that you encounter these problems most frequently. Yeah, right. The more people involved, the messier it all gets. Absolutely. You yeah. can avoid it by early exits. You can a little bit avoid it by making sure you back entrepreneurs that you trust and you have an open relationship with. 
Okay. Um, and I think I think it's fair to say the examples I've given you so far are entrepreneurs that we haven't had the best relationship with. Yeah. Um, and that's partly why this stuff happens. Yeah. Um, there's also, you just have to get immune to it. This stuff is going to happen. Yeah. And if you throw all your toys out the pram, you know, it's going to be difficult for you to stomach being an angel investor for very yeah. long because you'll be too stressed and too demoralized by it. We'll still probably make money on some of those deals that, that we've talked about there. Mm -hmm. Maybe less than we would have done if everything had gone perfectly, but still enough to justify doing the deal in the first place. Yeah. Um, we just have to apply these lessons we've learned to future future deals so that we can avoid, you know, or we can recognize when this bad behavior might come up and try to not have it. Yeah. Learn from the past. Yeah. Well, that was a great review of the bad behavior that we've encountered. And thank you for that. A little bit painful, but uh, listeners, we ask you to rate and review and contact us if you have uh, thoughts or feedback. This podcast is supported by Venture Carolina, an educational nonprofit focused on angel investors and entrepreneurs. Our team is built from successful entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, board members, and executives that want to give back. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Visit us at VentureInTheSouth.com for a complete list of previous and future shows and contact us if you have any comments or a request.